0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings engaging video and audio lectures presented by top professors and professionals on a wide variety of subjects to your fingertips. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to $90 off the original price of four courses within the Everyday Gourmet series of instructional cooking courses. Choose from Essential Secrets of Spices in Cooking, Making Healthy Food Taste Great, Baking Pastries and Desserts, or Making Great Meals in Less Time for only $9.95. This great price of $9.95 5 is only available for a limited time, so order today. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Kristol. And Bill, I have to tell you, I am still cleaning up the mess from the dumpster fire that was the CNBC debate. It was Tremendously awful. I love the fact that even the media are conceding. Yeah, we pretty much stunk it up this time.
1: Really terrible. I came in partway through. I had dinner, and then I of course had to watch the Mets game a little until that got too depressing. <laughs> so I, you know, I was going to catch up and read the transcript and look at the highlights later. But I watched the last, you know, forty minutes or so, and I think I asked someone, uh, "Have they been as bad all along?" The moderators. I mean, and and they, I guess they were. I mean, they were really terrible. It was good for the Republicans, actually. I think because following, I guess Ted Cruz was the first one. They quickly decided to follow Newt Gingrich's twenty twelve uh, playbook and the attack the moderators and attack the media. And they did so pretty effectively, I think.
0: Yeah, and the, they were so awful that no one can make the defense. Well, these are just tough questions. So they were awful questions and the Republicans showed their willingness to not answer the idiotic questions they were asked and instead make their own point, which I thought was great. Uh, but that and brings us...
1: Don't you think, Michael, I think Cruz and Rubio helped themselves a lot in this sense. Why have Trump and Carson been getting so much, you know, traction as outsiders? Partly because they're against the establishment and part of the establishment is the mainstream media. And I think the other candidates haven't really picked a fight with them. Maybe there wasn't really an occasion to. Here you had the actual senators, you know, elected officials just going after them and Cruz's attack on them was really fantastic, I've got to say. That one minute, you know, compressed, you know, was quick reciting of all their idiotic questions so far. So Cruz was not you know, making it about himself, he was making it about his colleagues who had been asked the idiotic questions and then just pointing out how, how how stupid it was. And then of course Rubio followed up with the uh, you know comment that the mainstream media is the largest uh, super PAC that exists really? that it's the democrat's best super PAC I mean it was a very effective one two punch and I think it helped you know put the republican uh, more establishment if you can call them that or let's say at least the the republican candidates who have held elect- do hold elective office. It made them uh, Give them a little more of the flavor of a Trump or a Carson, of an outsider, of an anti-establishment candidate.
0: And it put them in the fight. And I think that's the frustration that a lot of the folks in the Tea Party wing of the party felt like is, come on, who's fighting for us? You know, so now they're in the fight and they're good at it. And that highlighted the weaknesses of Trump and Carson, who really aren't as good at doing the political stuff as the uh, politicians were. But now here's the real question. Ben Carson's floating the idea of simply breaking the GOP-agreed-to debate uh, rollout, which Ryan's previous completely deserves them. That would be an outcome he deserves. And talking about it. why don't we just do our own debate pick our own moderators and you know from everything from Yahoo streaming video to satellite to you know all the technology we don't need these uh, you know, networks anymore. We'll just do the debate. the millions will come and find us and we'll have and we'll do it ourselves. Would that be a fundamentally good thing or would it make the Republican Party's party look like it was running from the media in a fight what would be the outcome do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think it would make them look as if they were running from the fight. If it's an open debate that everyone can cover, how can people say they're running from the fight? Uh, incidentally, the networks could come cover it, obviously, just like any press conference or any speech. And some of them probably would, actually. You know, don't you think? If, sure. if I don't know if, if they got the main street, the, the major Republican candidates into a debate, would Fox not cover it just as a news event, as opposed to a Fox-sponsored debate with Fox moderators? I suspect they would, and, and the other cable channels might as well. Look, I think I've always disliked the Republican National Committee's attempt to kind of create a monopoly situation and partner with the networks. And then, of course, they, they idiotically they go to they create a monopoly and they have no control over apparently over who the moderators are. So, what's the point of that? No. And if I were asked tomorrow, uh, you know, to come moderate a debate, have a forum, obviously I've done these kinds of things in the past. You have too. Uh, you, know, you and I and Steve Hayes could go uh, moderate a perfectly uh, intelligent, civil. And I actually think kind of interesting debate where we would talk about actual issues uh, with Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush and Donald Trump and and all of them.
0: Well, I hate to say this, but Steve and I have already actually been in contact with the uh, the Carson folks, and you've been bumped. It's going to be me, Steve Hayes, and Howard Stern, and we think that's the right way to go. We do. We think. think You
1: Hayes and one of the young McCormick or Halper. No, I'm (laughs) I'm I'm for it with whoever it is. I do not have to be part of it. And uh, yeah, I just generally think the more exposure, the better. It's a pretty good Republican field i think they showed uh, that was the thing that got me i actually was cheered up after it was a stupid debate and because Mm -hmm. of the moderators but actually i was cheered up about the republican field after wednesday night i I think as we go forward and see these people make their case and make their arguments the contrast with hillary clinton and bernie sanders up there on stage is going to be good for the republicans
0: what i like about the idea of uh, even if they only do one freestanding debate where they break out of the system is that it's a uh, it's a sign to the media establishment, you're done. You, you, you can't go back to the days that you're trying to get to where you set the agenda. You can have a debate on economics, supposedly, and you asking questions about gun control and are you a comic book villain and stuff like that. It will, it will show that that's done. And speaking of establishment stuff being done, I have already publicly, Bill, uh, taken out the official Michael Graham Fork, and placed it in the Jeb Bush campaign. Stick a fork in him. He's done. Am I wrong?
1: No, I think you're right. I'm pretty close to to that. I always do it a little less dramatically than you, Michael. So, you know, I I just uh, express the opinion that it's very, very likely that that campaign is over. And I'm now worried that it's going to go down ugly, you know, and and not in a way that will help, uh, frankly, Jeb Bush's reputation, uh, you know, in the future. He he should gracefully withdraw and say that he took a shot and it wasn't his year. And he respects the judgment of the voters. He looks forward to supporting the Republican candidate and doing his best to help that candidate uh Win the presidency and have a, have an effective uh, term in office, and just leave it at that. Instead, there you know he has surrogates out there attacking Marco Rubio in silly ways, and and, and you know sort of desperately flailing about. And it's not not going to. It may not be a very pretty sight for a week or two, but no, I think he knows he's done. Probably he's not an un, he's an intelligent man. And that exchange with Rubio was. I mean, Jonathan Last wrote a terrific post for us Wednesday night as the debate was going on. It wasn't only strategic. It was a it was silly to, to right. the silly topics to attack him on. B it was strategically foolish because most Republicans were going to rally to Rubio in those circumstances. And most strikingly, Rubio had already been asked the question by one Sorry. of the moderators. You know, what, what about your absences? He'd answered it quite effectively. And Bush just showed such a lack of political skill and judgment and then raising it again. So he looked like he was piling on with the liberal moderators. Rubio was totally prepared. He handled it very, very easily. Uh, Bush just looked sort of—it uh, was the classic deer in the headlights look—and I, I do think it was a moment that this was not a campaign that was going well anyway for Jeb Bush. That it struck me as, as as a moment that historians will look back, like the Rick Perry, you know, uh, thing in 2012, and say that that was kind of the moment where it ended.
0: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hip up our podcast here. The analogy is not deer in the headlights. It's from the movie Anchorman. When Brick, the really dumb weather guy or sports guy, yes, sports guy, gets sent over to ask the uh, attractive woman, do you want to come to a pants party? Because he doesn't know the joke, there's a party in my pants. And that was Bush. He clearly... It's as though he didn't understand how the attack was even supposed to work. Someone had given him, "Okay, you're going to go on stage and you're going to say this, and this magic political, you know, thing is going to just take care of Rubio for you." So he opens up the box. He, he had no investment in it. And the Rubio take that I thought was perfect was. Someone clearly told you to do it, just like the dumb guy who's trying to do the dumb joke and doesn't get it in Anchorman. Bush clearly wasn't invested in this. This wasn't how he feels about this. And it was devastating. But uh, just like the media think they have a hold on this. I wonder if Team Bush doesn't think that this is still 1988 or 2000 where they had a firewall in South Carolina that could guarantee that no matter how poorly they campaigned until then, no matter how badly they handled things, that someone could step up and deliver the nomination by giving them a key win. The system isn't the same. The line of the states isn't the same. The deport, the proportion of the delegates isn't the same. And the world just isn't the same. And I wonder if Team Bush has figured that out.
1: And the opposition isn't the same, especially as, I think they think it's just 2012 and it's Romney and he staggers to the nomination because Santorum, Gingrich, Herman Cain, and those people, ultimately none of them is really quite credible as a nominee. But that's not the case with the other people up on the stage. And I think that's the problem this time. And I, that's why I think the analogy, as you say, does fall down. And. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, may, may I said months ago, I've always been sceptic that we would have a Clinton-Bush race. I, I guess Hillary Clinton looks likely to be the nominee, though I still retain a, a bit of skepticism about that, but I'm pretty confident it won't be Jeb Bush. And for me, the question then becomes you know, how does, what's the dynamic now? I think Carson and Trump had adequate debates. I think Carson actually had a pretty decent debate. Uh, Cruz and Rubio, very strong debates. Christie reminded people what a good politician he is. I don't know that he can really, how far he can make it into the Republican primary, but if you were thinking that Bush is going out and the, and the moderate establishment types would like to rally behind someone, I think Christie could be, you know, who's more of a fighter and in the, in the fray, Christie could be that person. Um, but no, Rubio and Cruz really showed, and they just showed real political skill in different ways in that on that debate stage.
0: No, I agree. And uh, I've talked to many people who told me that the impact that the debate had on them is it got them looking at all the candidates again. It reshuffled the deck. And that's a good thing, because the longer the Republican Party lets the process work and lets one or two of these people rise and show that they are the candidate of the moment, the better, as opposed to locking in early, as we've done in the past, and then being stuck with someone like Mitt Romney, who really wasn't the man for the moment where America was.
1: I totally agree, and there'll be crises, there'll be world crises, there'll be domestic issues, and we'll get a chance to see how these candidates now react to them. Both in terms of what they actually think, what their judgments are, and in sort of real time in dealing with challenges and crises, and also, uh, as you say, just more generally, how you know how, how whether they're just flashes in the pan or they're good, they're one-trick ponies or whatever. So, it didn't hurt the Democrats in '92 to go through a pretty long process, which Bill Clinton survived. It didn't hurt the Democrats in 2008 for Obama and Clinton to go through 22 debates or whatever. Which is to get back to our original topic: another reason why more debates is better, not worse. And they don't have to all have all the candidates. They don't have to have 10 people on stage. They don't have to have these ridiculous rules. What if you've got, you know, groups of three or four of them that just do as many debates as it takes to go through the whole field? And obviously some people might choose not to come, and that would be their prerogative. And have two or three intelligent questioners and have a discussion about economics, have a discussion about foreign policy, don't have these 60-second, 90-second rules, have it more like a sort of, you know, intelligent uh, uh I don't know, intelligent version of Charlie Rose, let's put it that way, <laughs> where, you a, where you actually have a you know, a, a sort of a longer-form discussion about a couple of issues. Um, I mean, I think people would like that. There's huge interest on the Republican side. That is one of the striking things. People want to know more about these candidates. They know it's an important election. They know it's an important election to win. They don't know that much about most of these candidates. After all, who are they, one-term senators, people who haven't been in politics? Uh, and so let them see more.
0: Uh, And there's another thing that came out of the debate, too, is you could conceivably have the fight come down to two 44-year-old Hispanic Americans running for president of the United States, Cruz versus Rubio, while watching from the House is 45-year-old Paul Ryan, I believe that's right. And what a contrast from the fight on the other side where Bernie Sanders rolls up in the special AARP parking section so he can walk on stage and face the nice grandmother lady who can only work one email at a time.
1: So here's what I I totally agree with that. and I'm I'm actually slightly obsessed with this question. I mean, the Republicans have a lot of young candidates and the somewhat older candidates aren't really old. You know, their 50s and 60s, mostly, or early 60s. Think of this. It's Bernie Sanders against Hillary Clinton. I think that's 73 and 68-year-olds. Um, and uh, the Democratic leadership in Congress, by contrast, with Paul Ryan. In the House, we have um, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and James Clyburn. I think they're all 75-plus. Um, and in the Senate, we have Harry Reid who is, I think, also 75 or something like that. And Chuck Schumer, the young guy who's I think, 68, <laughs> you know? So, literally, literally, every national Democrat going forward, not Obama, obviously, but going forward who has a future, is, um, is 70 plus or 68 plus, I guess, if, uh, to Hillary Clinton's. Uh, yes, and, and Chuck Schumer are the young ones. So they are the—we need to give a give that a good—we need a good phrase for that. The Social Security Democrats, the right. Medicare Democrats, I don't know, the sort of AARP Democrats. There's something—there's some phrase that would, I think, help contrast it with the Republican Party of Paul Ryan, mm-hmm. of Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio. And for that matter, Carly Fiorita, Ben Carson, Chris Christie, these aren't—you know, these are still right. younger people. And I would say in the Senate, Mitch McConnell is the only one who's sort of more like a Democrat in this respect. I think he's about 70. But one thing McConnell really should— should do over the next several months is let the young senators, this, even the young, especially the young freshman senators, step forward and become more the public face of the Republican Party in the Senate. I and mean, they have a very able bunch of senators, 15 and under, a lot of them elected just last year, Joni Ernst, Tom Cotton, Cory Gardner, Jim Lankford, Dan Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, missing one or two of them, actually. Um, ben Sass from Nebraska. Right. And those people should be, you know, said, on this issue, why don't you take the lead? It would be great if voters looked up next year and saw on TV Paul Ryan and Ben Sass on health care or Paul Ryan and Tom Cotton on defense. And then they saw Cruz and Rubio. And I mean, it really would. I think the contrast with the Democrats would really be striking.
0: Well, the uh, counter argument from Chris Cuomo at CNN is the Republicans have the voters of the past, but the candidates of the future, you know, old voters, young candidates. The Democrats have old candidates and the young voters. And, that, and, that, and let me finish, because his other argument is, obviously, if you're thinking forward and the future, you think Hillary, because voting for a woman is voting for the future.
1: Well good, let them vote for Carly Fiorina, and she 'll be on the <laughs> stage and the debate's going forward and and is a more frankly more impressive woman than Hillary as well as a younger woman than hillary so um, yeah. That, but it's a fun, the Chris I saw you at the, the Twitter exchange with chris cuomo that 's really so crazy i mean they don 't get credit i mean that is i guess that 's their vision you know right. young voters docile, in a docile and mindless way, following these geriatric politicians who promise them i guess handouts and you know that they 'll take care of them in a nanny state of the future. I think the Republican image is much better. Fine, if the Republican voters are a little older, that's because they, you know, they've, they've lived a life and they have mm-hmm. some experience and they know that we need change and that we need forward-looking leadership. I think it's much easier to make the Republican case in that context than the Democratic case. But I do need people to, how should they do this? Maybe they could tweet me or tweet you, at Bill Crystal, um, or tweet, tweet you.
0: I or, am uh, M. Graham.
1: I am M. Graham. And, um, give a, we need a clever, you know, Clever name for the, the geriatric Democrats that are, I guess was a contrast with. <laughs>
0: well, you would say know. the geritol Democrats, but even that's too old because no one who's the age of uh, of uh, Marco Rubio knows what
1: geritol is. Yeah, right. Anymore. We need it, so we need it. So a it could current.
0: be like the rascal Democrats or the clapper Democrats, you know, or something like that.
1: Okay, well, we should let our all of our intelligent listeners Absolutely. come up with a good a good term for them, and then I guess a good contrasting term for the somewhat younger uh, <laughs> uh, and energetic Republicans. I think Paul Ryan is a big deal. Steve Hayes has a good piece on this in the magazine. I mean. People can have their quarrels with them on particular issues, but the idea that you have a very intelligent, articulate, genuine leader... Uh, who's already changed Republican-thinking entitlements as Speaker of the House at age 45. Uh, he's got to, I think, not just decide that his job is to keep things quiet on Capitol Hill. He should really try to lay out an agenda over the next year for 2017 It won't get passed into law with Barack Obama's president. But he could do a lot of good for the Republican Party by having House Republicans vote on or at least discuss, consider, have hearings on various you know forward-looking pieces of conservative reform legislation.
0: Bill Crystal, you're dead on, and I can't wait to hear from our listeners and find us on Twitter as well. And, of course, always check out WeeklyStandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.